Welcome to 2023. The world has changed and not everyone has realized it. This is leaving much of MedTech wondering what is happening and how are we going to manage? How do you lead your salespeople, create loyalty, and stay connected in the face of the headwinds that we're seeing, as well as capitalize on the tailwinds that exist? Accepting that this is what the world looks like, you can still capture share by being faster, more agile than your competitors. Hear from the MedTech experts today as they discuss specific ideas where you can focus your efforts to win in 2023 on this episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Hello and Happy New Year, everybody. This is Ted Newell um, with the MedTech Business Academy podcast. I'm just introducing the podcast today for the new year. And I've got Skender Darity, who's the CEO of the Clinician Exchange. And I've got Scott Alexander, who's the uh, CEO of Gyrus Micromarketing. Um, and I, I don't know if that's exactly what you call your company, Scott, or if I think you've got a couple different names for your companies. We, if we you want do. Correct, if you We're want to correct me, yeah, please yeah. feel free. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, we just we just call it Gyrus Marketing now because of um, my, people get confused what micromarketing is. But yeah, I mean, Gyrus okay. Marketing. Gyrus Marketing. Gyrus Marketing. That's with a J. Yeah. Gyrus with a J. Okay. I'm curious, what does the IRS call you? Yeah, they don't call us anything, which is why we keep changing our names. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's pretty funny. Al Capone. Uh, yep. Just and, kidding. Just kidding. If you're with the IRS, <laughs> we pay all of our taxes. Yeah. Well, today we're, we're going to talk about getting the year off to a good start and just thinking about the things that we're confronted with as we start off the new year in 2023. And what we're going to, uh, some of the advice we have, some thoughts we have, we're going to have a little roundtable discussion here. We were sort of in the discussion when one of our associates who helps produce this, uh, Colleen, said, this is such a good discussion. Let's start recording. So uh, bingo, here we are recording. So let's let's start that conversation again. Like, what do we think the, I think, Skender, you put it in terms of what are the tailwinds? What are the headwinds um, for 2023? I mean, the headwinds, I think, are a little bit easier right now. Yeah. Um, a, we've got a lot of economic uncertainty um, just overall. Uh, there's geopolitical uncertainty, which is impacting the economic uncertainty. Um, anytime you've got the Fed tightening the way that they are, and so many hospitals were predicated on free money and leverage, um, what are they going to do now at a time when they're still having high labor costs, high supply costs? The supply costs aren't going to decrease anytime soon. Um, and the labor issues are going to continue to remain. I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of headwinds that are still in front of us. The question is, for how long? They're not, I don't think they're going to stay here forever. It's more of a question of, are they going to be here for January and February? Or are they going to be here, you know, through mid-year? Um, and those are the things that if you're in the med tech industry right now, you have to be thinking about how are we going to project and approach that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the conversation we started having right before Colleen, our executive producer, rightly said, just hit record and then have the conversation came down to the fact that I was saying, I don't know that this is a temporary thing. Uh, um, and and I'm a I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but. If I look at all the trends that are out there, um, what I see is healthcare costs have, have uh, cost to 
deliver care has gone up substantially. You've got employment of physicians and even proceduralist surgeons, interventionalists, that sort of thing by health systems. Their operating margins are already razor thin and, and they're not, not going to get any better. Um, cost of capital is going up because of the Fed rates. I mean, I think, oh, by the way, the last thing to talk about is um, the patient pay component of a procedure has gone up dramatically and inflation has taken a significant bite out of the uh, the pockets of a lot of um, people that would generally get procedures. So I see a lot of headwinds that are coming in that we need to be used to as an industry or get prepared for, as opposed to just kind of hoping and praying that it comes back. And um, I'll give you just kind of the reason why, if I'm sorry, if I sound like a, like a, a doomsdayer, but back in 2012 through 2014, I, I worked for Covidian and um, I had a great job. I, my job ran a group called Commercial Innovations. And the whole idea was to figure out how do we win before we show up to the parking lot. And the, the trends that we saw back then were the rise of GPOs, rise of supply chain and finance and other decision makers outside of just a clinical context, right? So the value analysis committees, uh, vendor access, you know, credentialing, rep tracks, status blue, that sort of thing. Um, and a greater um, focus on or sort of appreciation for the fact that Dr. Smith can't just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this and he can sway a hospital. And if you fast forward to where we are today, that was 10 years ago. You look at where we are today, all those things have come true, right? You don't have access like you used to. Dr. Smith can't you know, bully something through anymore. You've got a finance person, a, a supply chain person, whatever, beating up on price. All those things have come true because it's good business. Like, and it is the trend that's happening. The next thing that I see is we're going to see procedural volumes. What, what's going to happen is we're going to have hospitals want to do these procedures because it's how they make their money. It's how they stay afloat, but they have to do them profitably. And so we're going to continue to see this trend of like, what's your financial justification for what you're doing? What's your operational impact? How are you going to help us reduce that impact of not having enough staff? And if you can do that, man, you're going to win. You're going to kill everybody else. But if you can't, somebody's going to eat your lunch. And I think that's the thing that I saw that, again, Skinner, to your question from before, like, that's what I think we're going to see, if not tomorrow, at least over the next three to five years. So just an emphasis on operational efficiency by the hospitals. Yeah. yeah, And, and the fact that you you know, we've already seen this and we kind of talk about the good old days. Well, someday this is going to be the good old days where if you're back when I was running the GPO and, and heading up sourcing at Mercy, the reality is we would kill ideas because somebody would roll in and they'd be like, hey, we have a better widget. This, this one's orange instead of blue. Well, that doesn't work, right? And, and you didn't have your value propositions beyond, hey, we have a clinical impact. Maybe we reduce the... I, risk of surgical site infection by 25%. Great. Help me understand how that actually helps me drive more to the bottom line. If you can do it, fantastic. We'll use the technology. If you can't do it, then come back when you can. And I think that's what we need to be expecting is just a greater sophistication and pressure on the buying decisions by hospitals. And I think that affects our industry in a great way. If we're not prepared, we're going we're gonna to get beat by people who are preparing for that. Well, you know I what? think the, the other thing right. that we're up against is supply chain. 
mm-hmm. you know, I, my lead client, um, we lost a month of production but that we weren't expecting because they had controlled it so well all year long and lost a month of production. And so um, that, that was, uh, that's, um, not quite 10% of your revenues for the year, but that's a big chunk yeah. that you can't ship, you know, cause you're behind by that much. We already had an eight week lag time, which is great compared to some other companies, but now it jumped to, to 12 weeks. So um, that's unpredictable, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of how that's going to move forward. Um, so that that's another headwind, so to speak. Yeah. And I think it's going to get harder, you know, just building on Scott's point here. I think it's actually going to get more difficult if you're a small, smaller supplier. And here's something that I saw when I was at the uh, AdvoMed conference uh, or the MedTech conference, as they call it now, um, back in, I guess it was October, November. Um, the bigger companies, i.e. the J&Js, the Medtronics, they're no longer thinking about widgets. Hmm. They're thinking about connectivity between all their widgets, everything that I heard J&J talk about was the connected OR. It's the same thing that Medtronic's been talking about, this connected cath lab. And it's having interoperability between all of their devices on the same wavelength in the theory that it would create greater ease of impact to the clinicians, provide greater remote monitoring opportunities, potentially have less staff impact, because now all the devices talk to each other. But that only works, and we all know this in our home lives, right? If you've got a Mac, but you've got a Samsung phone, it's a different story. But if you've got a Mac, an iPhone, an iPad, all of a sudden your whole world lights up anytime Mm -hmm. a phone call comes in, a text comes in, or something else happens. And there are people who are stuck in the Apple ecosystem some voluntarily, some are like, I can't peel my way out of it because I like knowing that when my phone rings, it shows up on my laptop and I can just pick it up there just as easily. Mm-hmm. And you're one of them, Ted, right? Yep. Exactly. There's a lot of people who like that. And that's where, you know, per Scott's point here, I think it's if if you're the large companies you're thinking about, how do I create this e- this Apple ecosystem where mm-hmm. even if Ted doesn't want an iPhone, he's like, the the frustration to do so is just too insurmountable. And then if you're a small company, you've got to find a way to insert yourself in there. And that's a major disruption because that's where they're looking to put it right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a key issue because the reason those companies are doing that is to not only give something of benefit to the hospital, but they're mm-hmm. also creating a barrier to entry to their competition. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we we were seeing that back when I was running the GPO. I mean, every Medtronic, J&J, Boston Scientific, right? They would they would come in with corporate, I, I don't know if you can call them rebates nowadays, but like corporate rebates and yep. programs and there's wraparounds and that sort of thing from a pricing standpoint. So addressing the financial piece of it, they would... Um, also in Boston Scientific, I'm calling you out for, for doing this. They would hold certain products um, like the Watchman device uh, where they would say, hey, we'll sell you the Watchman device. They did this. This is a sore pain point. I know this is maybe not the most professional thing, but Boston, <laughs> I, I don't I don't forget things. Uh, you know, we we had we had uh, access to the Watchman device um, held over our heads because of another category. Right. I don't know if that's legal or not, but it was. That was a conversation I had with somebody. Um, but but those kinds of things have been happening 
on the financial piece, right? So now think about, Skinner, what you're describing, because there's people, hospital systems buy on clinical, financial, and operational considerations. It's the CFO, baby. That's who has the money. So the financial piece has always been stacked against the small guys because Boston Scientific can come in and they can say, hey, there's a wraparound agreement or whatever. Like that's that's something they can do. Now what you're talking about is they're doing the same thing on the clinical side, right? You're an operational. An operational okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. So you're a small to medium-sized company. Yep. You don't have all the and when I say medium, that can be hundred million dollars, 125 million. Mm-hmm. That's still not the same thing as the three billion dollar, you know, Medtronic or whatever, or six billion dollar J and J, whatever they are, they're huge. Yeah. They have whole departments that are that are assigned to this type of work. Um what does a what would we recommend to a small medium-sized company to those people that are listening? Should they have like a should they um, have a committee that meets every month that talks about what is going on and go through a checklist of the various variables in the um, in the environment and what does that mean you know from here on out through the rest of the, uh, the year? In other words, don't check on it every quarter, or every half year, or only when you have an emergency. But how do you put together a committee like that? Um, here's, here's what I would, what I would say, and I'm, I'm feeling feisty today. So again, you guys (laughs) feel free to calm me down, but I think, I don't know that it requires you to do something other than running a good business. Um, right. If you think about it, ultimately what you need to be able to do, and again, I'm a downstream marketing guy, right? Like that's what I do all day long. And so I'm sitting here thinking, if you have clear value propositions, you have a very clear understanding of who you're selling to, and and you have things that are driving value, you're actually in a pretty, and you can explain that value to multiple potential stakeholders, you're actually in a pretty good place. Because we've never had to do that, right? It's Our, our industry has been, okay, I get a widget. I spent a, a lot of money kind of getting the widget. It's got some clinical benefit. I can get a couple of doctors who are interested in this. I'm in the urology space. I got a product for treatment of BPH, right? So I've got this thing. I can get them excited enough to to drive some revenue. And then I can leverage, say, hey, Dr. Smith is using this. Do you want to use it, Dr. Brown? That sort of thing. So like, that's a lot of how we've sold. You know, I know I'm oversimplifying, but today we're like, well, I have to be able to show some, some sort of financial justification as to why hospital X should buy this. I get it. But where we're going to be in the future is that those numbers need to be dialed in. The operational plan needs to be dialed in. And so it's not like you need to completely, you know, the world's not going to blow up as much as we're just going to be held accountable to running a business like other industries have had to run a business for a long time. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe what I'm saying is going to get me kicked out of the club, but um, right. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're in, B2B automotive parts. Hold on now, we're in healthcare. It's different. It's really not, right? So if we're in B2B automotive parts and we're trying to sell to Ford, are we going to have to have a very clear justification for not just the sort of the the clinical piece there is like the, I don't know, design or whatever the case might be. The financial piece is still a financial piece. The operational piece is the operational piece. We're going to have to have those things dialed in, right? And it's going to have to be tight because we're selling to Ford. Well, we've got health systems that are bigger or maybe maybe as big as Ford, at least from an employment standpoint, potentially from a uh, a revenue standpoint, um, getting close to it with like Common Spirit, maybe ballpark-ish, right? And so, why would we expect that they would have any less stringent financial and operational considerations? 
but yet companies still continue to sell into Ford and have very profitable businesses doing so because they haven't figured out. So I think it's a matter of taking the time to understand why do people buy what you want? And then how do you make sure that everybody in the buying process understands that? So anyway, I'll, I'll yeah. get off my soapbox now. So. Oh, I, I, so I, I believe firmly, and we talk a lot about this internally, we talk a lot about the Sun Tzu principle, right? And, and the mm -hmm. late great Sun Tzu. And basically, I always say his, his book and his theories only, they break down into the three simplest philosophies, okay? If you know yourself, you know your adversary or your counterpart, and you know the environment slash the terrain and landscape better than anybody, you know those three things you can't lose, essentially. Right, your mm -hmm. your opportunities for victory are like ninety nine point nine percent. Anytime mm -hmm. you have a deficiency in any one of those, so what you're advocating for, Scott, is definitely know yourself. Yep. And I think in this environment, you have to understand the environment. Understand why do rate increases matter to a hospital? How does that impact their bottom line? Why does the uh, you know a nurse going on strike at Mayo Clinic? which just happened, right? How does that potentially impact my ability to get into Mayo? And now there's potential additional strikes happening across Southern California, which is a union state, okay? So understanding the environment and what is happening there, and then understanding your counterparty and making sure you understand exactly what their needs are. I think one of the things that is gonna have to be a reality in 2023 is the... And I'm going to say something that, you know, everybody knows is there. It's kind of the 800 pound gorilla that nobody ever talks about, but the margins that we have enjoyed in med tech, you might have to come to a reality and say, can we operate in a lower margin environment? And I think that's what you have to do is figure out how to operationally, how to delivery channel distribution, everything. How can we skinny down to operate in a lower margin environment? And I know med tech, we have to have larger margins because of the whole regulatory component. And that is a difficult pathway and it's constantly a challenge. And just when you think you're through it, all of a sudden there's a recall and all these other things. And, and you know, you've got to work on. So I, I, I understand why we have heftier, heftier margins, but if we aren't planning around the route of saying, hey, we've enjoyed historically margins at 50 plus percent. And if we aren't ready to navigate in an environment that might need us to be at 35% in 2023, you are going to set yourself up for top line challenges. Mm -hmm. You see, I, some of the things that you just mentioned that brings me back to a company, small to medium size, is still what I'm talking about, taking some type of constructive action to look look to the future, to, to look mm -hmm. at things that are happening now and say what could happen in the future. For example, you mentioned the strikes, the nursing strikes that are going on. It can have a huge impact on the hospital system. It might be for a couple of weeks. If, the, if nurses are on strike for one week, probably affects the hospital, elective surgeries, a lot of stuff that is scheduled for a month, maybe more. But three years ago, we didn't have that stuff happening. You know, so if you're a manufacturer in Massachusetts or in Minnesota and you're pumping out, you know, 50 million or 75 million dollars of goods, you had your sales source out there, you sort of looked at the United States as a as a market, a total market, and you sort of looked at it the same. I don't think you can do that anymore. It's great. I point. think you have to sit down and you have to say, what's happening in these different areas and what does it mean about the way that we're going to manage? So suddenly the nurses strike occurs like in Southern California. What, how do you 
manage the marketing to those practice, those uh, accounts? How do you make sure you stay in business at those accounts? How do you uh, lead your salespeople that are affected by those accounts so that they stay, you know, loyal to your company and stay connected and, and everything? How do you, how do you do that? That's where I think that, you know, it takes a little bit more observance, a little bit more uh, care in the way you look at this market. It's not one generic market anymore. A lot of stuff's going on in different places. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was in a conversation earlier today because, sorry, I had a couple of thoughts and I jumped. Go ahead, jump. Down. So <laughs> I'm just like firing away today. Um, I agree with you, Ted, about the need to have a group of trusted people to come together to think through, okay, what happens if, like, let's do some scenario planning. Um, I'm reminded of a thing that I did. I was a, a part of um, back at Covidian where it's called red teaming. So we basically said, hey, Let's go through a competitive threat analysis where we assume we have, these are the competitors. What are we going to do if J&J does this, if Medline does this, if Company X, does, Olympus does this? So it was fascinating. I loved it. It was great. And we had amazing observations come out of it. Those kinds of operations, those kinds of strategic you know, offsites are invaluable. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about, Ted. And so where I was going is one of the things that I've been seeing a lot recently with um, smaller companies, nimble, you know, nimble companies, is the relying on distributors to a much greater degree. And uh, they're getting rid of a lot of the fixed SGNA associated with direct employees. And instead, they're relying on that dis that the distributor model to to handle the day to day, and so what what they're doing it's a it's a specific way of that they're doing it that I think is interesting. Um, demand generation is run at the corporate level, so company X is going to say, "Hey, we're going to be building brand awareness. We're going to be trying to drive sales opportunities, that sort of thing." Um, they're going to have a person or a couple of people that are like VP level on the sales side for initiating some of these relationships. And then once it gets to a certain point, then they hand it off to a distributor, right? So then Danny, the distributor is going to take that warm lead and start driving revenue off of it. Um, and I've, I have seen that kind of a business model more in the last 90 days than at any time before. It's like, I think a lot of people are waking up to that's a way that you can flex your SGNA without necessarily having to give up a lot of footprint. Uh, I don't know. You guys seeing that too? Yes. And actually, I talked about this two years ago as a projection that could happen is, you know, med tech has always been a sales heavy yep. industry. And when you look at like the closest counterpart, theoretically, is pharma. Mm -hmm. Well, pharma was a heavy sales industry in the 90s and the early 2000s. And for a variety of reasons, they flipped and they yeah. went to a heavy marketing slash centralized decision making. Mm -hmm. Do they still have a thousand reps? Yeah, you can't walk into a physician office and not see a bunch of reps there. Mm -hmm. But what they said there was, we're going to have these reps, we're going to pay them a lot less. Uh -huh. Okay, we're going to have all the decision making trying to be done at a formulary level, and mass marketing level. And then we're just going to pay these, uh, no offense to anybody, but pay them a little bit lower. Okay, and just have them go in there and reiterate, mm -hmm. essentially just be a 30 second commercial for what they just heard, right? Whereas sales has always been heavy. And now I think we're going to that marketing area, just yep. like you said, let's get it all done centralized. 
and start to decentralize some of our sales because this is costing too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was a drug rep back in the day it, as that transition was happening. And um, yeah, it was like, here's your three lines. I was here's too. Yeah. Good times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stand on the X, right. Get the signature and tell them that yeah. you're high risk hypertensive. Uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was like, you know, me and the UPS guy basically had the same job. <laughs> Pretty much. We just had to wear suits. Um, <laughs> Well, I think yeah. I think your point about distribution is an interesting one and a, and a really good one because the distribution companies have really good. I mean, if it's a good company, they have great contact with the GPOs and the various um, hospital systems and so on. And you're protected by being within the realm of all their products and any contract that they may have. And that offers you a certain amount of protection. But then we have the small company, $5 million company probably might not be able to get the attention of a distributor and a distributor could be a mistake to work with because they have so many products that they can't work with a specialized product. Mm -hmm. So, do, you know, what do we tell the small company going into the new year? Um, you know, as, as they look out through the year and, you know, they've got a number of issues, like, you know, some of which are financial, some of the marketing challenges and sales, but what do we tell a smaller company who's still digging to get some traction? I'd say what try they, to what think like what are they, hmm? what are they selling? Like let's let's come up. Like are you is this a like a like a physical medical device company or F physical medical device? Okay. Um let's say it's a brand new product for um we could say the emergency room, and you do have some evidence that it reduces the amount of time to do a certain emergency a certain emergency procedure. Um and that time is worth money. Okay. Scanner, you had something you want? To I mean, I would say you've got to start, and this is directly in line with what you were talking about, Scott. You've got to think about, you've got to think like a big company mm -hmm. and you've got to think about operational efficiency from the get-go. And I think that's something that most companies aren't necessarily thinking about. Yes, they are thinking I have a limited budget. So by virtue of that, how do I maximize the spend of my budget? But I don't think that still causes anybody to approach things any more intelligently. I think it's more of just how do I spend this money and get the most out of it? But at the same token, so many of them are rooted in the same ideas, whether it be distribution or some sort of leaning out somewhere else in the process. That's what we're talking about. Start running this like, like there's crazy KPIs that you mm -hmm. have to follow and you've got to hit at all times. Um, you know, I was just talking to somebody at an Amazon distribution center and the amount of KPIs that low level employees have to hit on a daily and weekly basis, not quarterly, mm -hmm. not monthly, not annually, they're managed on a daily and weekly basis, according to KPIs. And these are, you know, warehouse people who mm -hmm. still have to attend to that. Now, I'm not saying that's right because there's a lot of human resources issues with that. There are a lot of challenges that go with that, but what they have determined is that if they can create efficiency throughout their entire supply chain, throughout their entire delivery system, they can still offer me and you and Joe consumer the prices we want on the things that we click buy now for. So you've got to be thinking like a big company. How do I create efficiency? Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I would also think about, I mean, here's, and again, this is a little bit of like 
forgive me, it's going to be a little bit of a, a gyrus marketing sales pitch. It's not intended to be that, but um, come to gyrusmarketing.com. The, <laughs> the reality is um, take any product or service. So we're talking about an ER product right here. We could be talking about orthopedics or urology or you name it. There's a limited number of people who actually need to know who you are. And um, the rest of the world really doesn't matter in that assuming that you're not going direct to consumer and you're still focusing on ER physicians in this case or whatever the case might be, um, you need those ER docs to know who you are. And so you've done that through like, hey, I got, I have to have Randy the rep knock on doors, but you can't get access and B, they don't really want to see you in the ER. So think about, again, we bias ourselves towards like a digital approach, but but think about how do you how do you gather information about all the ER docs in the country, um, names, email, you know, contact information, locations, potentially even like procedural volumes, um, and and have that in a database, and then use a variety of methods to be able to figure out okay who are we touching and what's the relative value of those individuals, um, and then rely on digital approaches, email campaigns you know, paid social campaigns on a platform like LinkedIn or Twitter, like how are you using that to move Dr. Smith towards a conversation to buy something, right? And then once you're there, how do you use different approaches to cement the usage? And then how do you go deeper? So those are the three things you got to do. I think you can do that more with um, with a distributor model where they're, you know, once they start getting the sales, right, they're going to go in and, and service that account. We'll figure out it's Billy is the rep for, you know, Sloan Kettering ER. So how do we make sure that he understands the relative value of now getting Dr. Patel to use our product or Dr. Jones to use a product and, and be that centralized data source. And then also you can use some, some air cover from a marketing standpoint. The other thing that I would do, and Skender, I'm, I'm giving you a plug uh, here early in January, is think about bringing in clinical resources that you can scale up and scale down so that let's say, for example, you get this um, ER product into Sloan Kettering or some other flagship account where you're like, this is where it's at. You know, it's you know huge account, great name recognition. Why not do a, a massive in-service? Why not figure out how do you bring in some clinicians that can, can really drive the value? Because one of the things that I realize I'm getting kind of long-winded, so I'll stop and take a breath. But one of the things that I've seen throughout my entire career in Mint Device is we would get so excited about the first sale into a new account, right? Sent somewhere to spot their first unit. And people would peter out before you got to peak revenue, right? We got to the point where like we've captured as much of the volume as we needed to. And I think that's going to be one of the things that I would focus in on if I'm a small, mid-sized uh, med tech company is how do I squeeze as much of the juices that's in this berry as I possibly can, knowing that my access to other berries is smaller. So I need to maximize the value that I get. And oh, by the way, if I can get everybody using my widget in the ER and everybody loves it and it's what people use, the ability for someone else to displace me drops dramatically, right? I've got brand equity. I've got value in inside that account that I don't have if I have 20% share, 30% share, even 50% share. Because there's someone else who's got as much volume as I do, and it's going to be a coin toss. You got to figure out how do you get as much as you possibly can of that market 
inside that account to be able to make sure that it's going to be much more dis- difficult to displace you. So. I think that's great advice. And I really like the advice of using an organization like the Clinician Exchange to have what you call a temporary scaling. So you're a small mm-hmm. company and you suddenly have this, you, you've tackled this big piece of beef, which is, it could be Northwell Health in, in New York, could be Sloan Kettering or whatever it might be. And you're thinking, how do I take advantage of this and really grow? No, you can't go out and hire all these people, but you could use an organization like Skenders to scale up, give them really professional in-servicing, training, um, all the clinical support, get it nailed down. Then you can back out and that expense is sort of gone for a moment. Maybe just have some maintenance expense. Mm -hmm. I, I really, that's a great idea for a small company that's, that's trying to, you know, get a foothold someplace. I, I appreciate plugs, believe me. Uh, it's, <laughs> well, it's just a common sense. Theclinics.com. But yeah, that's and that's what I was getting at with the uh, with the idea of think like a big company, right? How do I become efficient? How do I become, how do I scale? How do I, you know, because you've got to come down to 35% gross margins, doesn't mean that your net margins have to come down equivalently, right? Yeah. We all know that gross and net. There's ways to play that game. And if you've got to create a lower gross margin, find a way to decrease your net impact. And this is one of those things. Find a way to create scalability. Your customers are going to be clamoring for lower prices. In terms of thinking like a big company, and I know we're starting to get close to our time here, but, um, and I don't want to, you know, Scott's head to get too big here and on the marketing <laughs> side or anything like that. It's but already I, big. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I work, my lead client is a small company in the, um, the optometric and ophthalmic space. You would think that they were a $20 million company. The way yes. they, they have a, a terrific marketing uh, manager, director of marketing. The amount of webinars and video and all this stuff that this company pumps out. And then the way that they'll use. So this is thinking like a big company. You take a a lunch and learn event at a trade show where you have a bunch of key opinion leaders give a presentation. They have split that up and diced it and made it into so many different things and use it very effectively. It's just amazing. So then they have a small budget. It's possible to do this stuff, whether it's marketing, like digital marketing, like Scott supports and the other marketing areas that Scott supports or or you know, the way you use your video, there are ways to do it. You just have to get out of the box that you're in where you think you got to buy print advertising and standard blast emails. Yeah, they can, mm-hmm. it can be helpful, but there's some pretty unique stuff out there you can do. Yeah, I mean, quick, I mean, just easy things to do. Take your, take your budget for um, trade shows for 2023, cut it in half, mm-hmm. right? And then take, Except Half for one. of the what's that? Except for one. Except for one, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But but here's what here's what I was gonna say is take half of that half and then look at what can you do from a content creation standpoint. What can you do with some of these you know uh, virtual reverse uh, expos that are that are happening? Plug plug. Um, right. What can you do with that? And I guarantee guarantee you that if you do it right you are going to have a far better and far more measurable ROI than um, whatever a trade show is going to offer. And like do a webinar, right? Spend, do a webinar once, once record it. And then, yeah, if you've got good, you know, content people, they can take that, they can cut that 45 minute webinar into 
a bunch of little 30 second snippets. They can do a three minute video. That's a piece of it. They can take that. They can write uh, a thought leadership piece about it. So a three to five page document. They can do you know a couple of blurbs about it, an infographic. I mean, that one 45 minute event where you have your subject matter expert turns into 10 pieces of collateral that you can potentially use throughout the entire year. Um, so every, yeah. every month, every month we're giving and we're given a new video snippet to put in our signature. Right. You know, and, yeah. and it, it's so easy to do. You know, I think mm -hmm. in talking about cutting your budget in half or whatever, and we talked about this last time. Okay. So you committed to a 30 by 30 foot booth or 20 by 20. Well, keep the space. Just don't send all that crap. Just use only 10 by 10 of it or 10 by 20 of it or whatever it might be. Send less people use that mm -hmm. saved money for something else. Um, okay. So any, any last thoughts? Cause I guess we have to wrap this up uh, to keep our, to stay in tune with our time and to keep our pr uh, production people happy. Right. So Skinner, last thoughts. Uh, we talked a lot about headwinds. There are a lot. Um, however, as we talked about, in amidst chaos, there's always opportunity. Um, and there's ways to turn a headwind into a tailwind if you look at it the right way. And you know the three factors we talked about and you start to think with efficiency. Um, so don't get distraught. You just have to be aware yeah, and find ways to turn that into a favorable. Scott. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of reiterate what Skinner said and maybe put a little bit of a different spin on it. I mean, everybody's in this current environment that we're in. I don't think it's going back to, you know, the same procedural volumes and that sort of thing. And so I think if you accept that, like, this is what the world looks like and you move faster than your competitors, it's not just, you're going to win, right? You can actually, the overall market can go down, but you can capture share by understanding the game that you're playing. Um, so the way that you do that is by engaging taking shots on goal and figuring out what's working, what's not working to move the needle from a revenue and a, and a usage standpoint. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think 2023 is going to be a good year for uh, a lot of folks. If, if they do the things that they need to do to run a good, efficient business. Um, so I'm excited for it. Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. And um, uh, thank you for the listeners. We wish you the best of the new year. We really wish you the best of success. And we're going to be here um, almost on a weekly basis to give you some ideas and some food for thought to keep you going. And with that, we'll sign off. Thanks again. MedTech has always been a sales-heavy industry and is moving in the way of being more marketing-focused, lightening the load for sales overhead. What can you do from a content creation standpoint Amidst chaos, there is opportunity, and there are ways to turn headwinds into tailwinds for your organization. You need to be able to have a clear value proposition, have something that drives your value, and be able to explain that value to future stakeholders. Doing those, you'll be in a pretty good place. The margins that have been enjoyed in MedTech are a thing of the past, so determining ways in which you can operate at a lower margin environment will allow you to succeed. Tune in next time for more from the MedTech Business Academy.